We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from the Zero RB Watch and Stealing Signals. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch and find my Stealing Signal Substack at bangretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, it's Tuesday night. We're doing kind of a late Tuesday night. We've been chatting now for like an hour before we even started recording. Week 14, we got a lot to talk about. We're going into the fantasy playoffs for most people. For, for us and our FFPC teams, we already did the divisional playoffs. So we had, you know, a lot that got sorted out these last couple of days. Uh, and now we have the big shootout for for some of our teams. And so, yeah, a lot going on in the fantasy world, you know. A lot, this is the time of year when everything, everything gets decided. It is, it is. And like you said, we've already been chatting for about 80 minutes here. We'll see if we have anything left or if this ends up being sort of a silly episode of stealing bananas but i'm sure that plenty of our listeners are also perhaps a little bit slap happy at this point both with the craziness of the results the excitement of week 14 and just the emotional state you have to be in to wake up every day and then go through every 15 minutes with more of your players getting put on lists that will make them inactive for last week's game then we talked about the uh, unfortunate is we actually benefited in a couple of places from Tyler Higby going on the list very late. And then it turns out uh, if, if we have the correct information now that he was a false positive, we've had tons and tons of players put on the list in the last 24 hours. It looks like the Browns may have a hard time fielding a team. I know that that comes into play for the big FFPC best ball tournament team that I have with column and Blair. So we're rooting for a variety of people there. And yet that's the way this works. That's one of the reasons why contingency-based squads work, uh, anti-fragile squads work. Now, it's not to say that we don't have some issues. It's not to say that you don't get some crazy results. I was telling you before the show about a team that we played in the finals that maybe was a little bit of an underdog to start with, then lost four or five of their guys during the week to different things, and they still came out and beat us by 30. So uh, you want to be ready to go after it here what should we be looking for? What jumped out to you writing signals the last couple of days? What can people count on amidst these last couple of weeks of chaos? Well, yeah, I mean, stuff to count on is, is hard. I mean, that's that's for sure. We know, you know, the obvious ones, right? The, the Jonathan Taylors and things, and part of what's made, made them so enjoyable to have in fantasy this year is they're the few that you can actually count on. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening. There's a lot... Like you said, there's a lot of players that are that are out, but especially for people who, you know, in, in a lot of our main events, our higher stakes stuff, waivers are are locked. And so we're kind of at the mercy of of you know luck a little bit with with who's available and all of that. 
most of our listeners, I imagine, are playing in in contests that have you know home leagues and things that that have waivers still going through the playoffs. And there's a lot of things that are happening. I mean, we were talking a little bit before one of the guys we hit on in our long conversation was Gabriel Davis, right? Like Emmanuel Sanders is banged up now. Davis is a guy that that we really liked last year. Uh, big rookie year had a good profile coming in. Has not been seen the field a ton. One of the things I noted in signals, and and it's been evident if you've been watching a lot of Bills games, he's been getting targeted in the red zone a ton. He has six end zone targets in the past seven games, eight on the year. He set season highs this week with 83% snaps and 83% routes of uh, of their 83% of their dropbacks. He ran a route on because uh, Sanders went out pretty early. He's pretty clearly going to be that vertical threat in this offense. Now Sanders hasn't got a lot of air yards. This offense has not been pushing it down the field as much over the last month plus, but uh, if Davis can get a few of these deep shots, as well as the way that he's been used in the in the red zone, I mean, that's a really nice profile on a team that likes to throw a ton. It's a good young prospect. I mean, that's a guy that's available probably in some leagues that can do a lot to help people who uh, could be missing some wide receivers. We have, you know, Rashad Penny breaking out. We have Justin Jackson potentially. We talked about him last week, potentially getting an opportunity if Eckler's not able to play, but Eckler may play. But yeah, there's a lot... That, there's a lot of these types of situations that could still be there to, to pick up and plug in and got to just keep, keep staying focused. I think with these things. And we talked a little bit, a little bit jokingly about adding Alan Lazard as our last guy on one of our high stakes rosters. As we entered the playoffs, the part of the thesis there, 2019, he's actually a deep threat for green Bay 2020. He's an underneath threat. Then they bring in Randall Cobb and that wipes out his role to an extent one of the things with Lazard is nice that you have the flexibility of a guy who can play deep, he can play underneath. Uh, both Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling have this combination of size and athleticism that makes them difficult guys to cover, even if maybe you're a little bit skepticism about the skill set that they bring with that. But you put those two guys with Devontae Adams, it makes that offense pretty interesting. We know that Aaron Rodgers, again, now playing at an MVP level, even with all the craziness that is attached to him, both sort of on and off the field. We also saw some developments this week in the running game, right? They have 15 carries for A.J. Dillon. He looks very good on those carries, gained 71 yards. But unfortunately, the high-value touches don't really work in his favor. He stopped on his couple of attempts sort of inside the 10 there, inside the 5. The rest of those opportunities then went to passes. And we know that the Packers have gone through stretches where they're pass-heavy inside the 10-yard line. If you're going to be pass heavy at that distance, you want to have Aaron Rodgers. They scored on a couple of these plays, including a fourth down. They also got Aaron Jones one touch in there. He goes and scores, also scores on a passing play. So this is kind of an interesting one where Dylan had the edge and expected points, but Aaron Jones, obviously with that electric playmaking ability, has the big edge in terms of actual points. And this was the ninth time in the last three years in which he had double-digit fantasy points over expectation. That's the kind of upside you have exposure to, even with a guy who now is pretty clearly in a committee when you have the talent level of an Aaron Jones. Yeah, and one of the things that I talked about with with their split and signals this week, I mean, there was some, you know, there's a lot of interesting usage that went on there. Uh, Jones played a lot more in the first half. There was the really crazy second quarter in this game where something like 40-something points were scored. Uh, the Bears had a couple long touchdowns and then also fields through the pick six in this game in, in that second quarter, just a, an explosive second quarter. And they came out in the second half, the Packers had ball first and they went to AJ Dillon and they went to AJ Dillon for that entire drive. And they, they did the, Hey, it's December and Lambo and we're going to, we're going to establish it. We're going to establish the run with AJ Dillon and his size. Jones came in at the end of that drive and scored on a short touchdown Interestingly, Dylan had the other three green zone touches in this game. Their last game together a couple of weeks ago, Dylan had all four of the green zone touches. He has seven of the eight now in their last two games together, which Dylan didn't have that type of usage in the early part of the year. It was all Aaron Jones in the green zone down by the, down by the end zone. I don't think that necessarily means Jones can't get that work because Jones has been effective there. The one touch he got down there, he scored. Dylan has not. He's only scored on one of those seven touches in those last couple of weeks. I think that's kind of an interesting one I wanted to get your thoughts on because it does, 
I, I do almost wonder if Dylan, as big as he is, if he's just sort of better out away from where it gets so piled up and, and Jones being so explosive can sneak in between holes. You think of the bigger back as being better at the goal line. And Dylan is so good at, uh, at, at falling forward. But when you get all of these defensive linemen in there and it's so bunched up, is there even enough space to fall forward or is it, you know, it, it's an interesting one. I obviously don't think this means that Dylan's never going to be a good goal line back or anything, but the effectiveness of Jones over so many years at the goal line and the fact that even though Dylan has gotten this work recently, he has not been as effective does have me a little bit, you know, certainly not looking at this as, as if Dylan is clearly the goal line back just because of this usage recently. I think it could go either way going forward, right? Jones could be the guy who gets, the majority of the work uh, in, in the next week or two. But the difference for me, it, it's sort of a, a pretty traditional thunder and lightning duo in this sense. Like Dylan has been getting more of the heavy rush work. And that's, that's what they did in the third quarter was establish it with Dylan. And they've been using him even near the goal line more. And then Jones, fewer carries, played similar amounts of snaps, ran more routes. The routes weren't that big of a gap. And I saw some people emphasizing this. The difference is they use Jones as a receiver differently. They use him as a playmaker, right? His receiving touchdown was, and this was the beginning of this whole monologue, the point that I wanted to make, Jones has the, the beautiful running back air yards potential. His touchdown was down the field. He, the, Dylan's routes are the more traditional running back routes. He's just, you know, blocking and releasing or being, you know, sitting out in the flat, catching a pass. He's a good receiver. He can do that stuff, but he's a big back. They're not doing a ton of stuff down the field with him. They will split Jones out. They will use Jones down the field. They'll run him on a wheel route out of the backfield. They'll get him into space in the passing game in a way that gives him a lot more receiving upside, even if their routes are somewhat close. They're not the same routes. They're not the same targets. Yeah, and I just uh, – we know that the routes are important. It can signal some things. But we also, especially for these running backs, I want to see them designed – plays where they're actually the guy getting the ball on those passes. And so you mentioned that this – goal line work could go either direction and i think that it can I, I think that you're right about that dylan he has the upside because the packers are going to be down by, there by the goal line a lot i think that he's shown enough that even though he's missed on a few opportunities i think he's still going to get the ball down there but for exactly the reasons that you mentioned jones is a is a very effective back in close and there are some things he can do that dylan just won't be able to do i mean if you have a back of that talent level and you can't use them to score touchdowns, then there's something wrong with some of the things you're doing schematically. I remember the time period where the Detroit Lions even sort of experimented with taking Barry Sanders out by the goal line. It's like, that is a fault of the way that you're putting those plays together if you're taking Barry Sanders out. All you have to do is look at some of these highlights where he's flying over the line and you know, you've got like a yard gap between him and all the defenders. <laughs> hitting each other to see that and there are just so many things that you could do when you have players that talent level don't take them out around the goal line i think that that can go either way you're going to have some weekly variance with that to where you just can't count on one guy having the role versus the other when you have two clear-cut starters the the big concern for me though is that he comes from this stretch where he'd had 17 targets over the last four games they come out of the bye they don't have randall cobb who has been somebody who can use underneath they have this opportunity to kind of keep that pattern going and with Jones getting healthier again now, they went back away from that with Dylan. Now, we've seen weeks, even with guys like Austin Eckler, you know, we've seen a couple of down weeks within the midst of a season where obviously Eckler is very, very involved as a receiver. You have the one down week, especially with the routes that you mentioned. That doesn't mean that Dylan's being de-emphasized in the passing game, but the explosive back just has more upside when you have a committee like this, especially when the explosive back has established himself to the level that Jones has over the past several years. Yeah, and I mean, he's going to have the high-value touch advantage, particularly on the passing side, but especially if the goal line work is a little bit more split. I mean, for Dylan, he's going to catch some passes. We know that. He's going to run efficiently. It's definitely a, a positive note and a better situation for him now that he's looking a lot more certain to get 10 to 15 carries, you know, in a game where early in the year we were hoping to get eight uh, at times really early. But the the receiving, yeah, yeah I mean, he, he's more than likely going to catch a pass or two every game. He's going to have some games where he catches four, but he's he's not going to have games where he catches seven or eight probably very frequently. Uh, Jones can have those games, right? And then the high, you know, the, the other side of the high value touches the goal line stuff. If we're thinking that split, I mean, Jones just really becomes that guy. And then, like you said, the explosiveness as well. I mean, we, that's the other side of it. Where I was talking about high value touches and then the efficiency. I mean, you, you've talked about that so many times. Jones is. I think in the offseason, we're comparing him to, you know, the closest thing in the league right now to 
to Jamal Charles, who's you know your all-time favorite back. Um, and, and that's that's who he is, right? Yeah, I mean, and you look within the course of this Green Bay offense and the way that they're playing, the opportunity for highlights is just so strong. Then speaking of highlights, and, and obviously people who have Dalvin Cook are going to play Dalvin Cook. It's not like there's any controversy there or any what should we do, but 205 yards on Thursday night. Now, granted, the Pittsburgh Steelers, when they're trying to defend the run, they look like they've got seven or eight guys on the field. It's a good matchup. But he looked unbelievable coming back from this injury. We saw some games this week. And this is one where you didn't have perfect information going in. You didn't know how it was going to play. But some people who played Madison over Cook when they actually had the handcuff there. That's one of those situations where definitely you feel sick afterward. Just a kind of an interesting stat, I think, you know, looking at the career for Dalvin Cook and just how good he's been when he's healthy, right? He's got 53% RB1 finishes and only 13% of his active games with a running back three or worse finish. And just to provide some context, and granted, not everybody came into the NFL with the exactly the same role, but Nick Chubb is at 41% RB3 or worse finishes. Joe Mixon, 44% in that category. What Dalvin Cook is doing, the moves that he demonstrates every week, his ability to come back from these injuries. I mean, Cook gets injured all the time, but he comes back and he runs effectively. Maybe this gives us like the tiniest bit of enthusiasm or uh, just this dream of DeAndre Swift coming back from an injury that probably isn't the same, but at least has some similarities. Guys who still are healthy in the bottom half, if they can break into the open, they can create some fantasy value. Now, we're recording this Tuesday night. There have been some uh, rumors that Swift would go on IR at some point. The Lions coaches came out this week and said, look, I mean, he could play in week 15. So it could be anything from DeAndre Swift is done to DeAndre Swift is back and gains 200 yards, just like Dalvin Cook did. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, for, for fantasy, it's just another, you know, another example, like you said at the top of the show, about who's available and who's not and how much that's going to swing things. It's, uh, <laughs> we have a lot of teams where we'd like to have DeAndre Swift. Um, one thing I noted on him this week was that over the last couple of weeks, Detroit has just five team high-value touches. They have been up near the top of the league all year in terms of team high-value touches, and I tend to look at things on the team level with this. A lot of it can be related to the quarterback, to the scheme, and it can be really helpful to pick out. I mean, the example I've been using all this year is probably a better one from this year, but last year when Christian McCaffrey went down, we had Mike Davis step in and play a similar role. He wasn't, you know, as good or anything, but he was getting the receptions and he was getting goal line work. Now, obviously, we didn't see that in, in Carolina this year. You know, Chuba has not been running the routes, but that, you know, we've seen Abdullah catching passes and some other guys. The point is, typically in a scheme, if, if there's a, a, a player catching a lot of passes, then the backup has an opportunity to, to fill that or somebody is going to have an opportunity to fill that. It's really interesting in Detroit that they've been so high all year. And Swift goes out and they kind of crater. They don't have that value in the offense as much anymore. Did you give any credence to the report this week that we've now gotten to the time of the season where Jared Goff is confident in his receivers and so he's going to start throwing deep more? Is that related to uh, fewer passes to the running backs? I, I mean, I, I I know you're dry over so well, but you asked that. You did that very well, like a deadpan, and I, I should have done a better job of not laughing, but I... <laughs> I couldn't. No, I'm not giving any, any weight to that report. Uh, but I, I look at the team, the team stuff heavily. But I also would acknowledge, and I think we all acknowledge this: anything that we're looking at on team level, that there are individual players that break molds. McCaffrey has definitely been that player. I mean, even when I use the, the Mike Davis example, he was never on the on the level of McCaffrey. McCaffrey is creating high value touches. He's creating targets because he's running amazing routes and all these types of things. Camara has been similar in the past, um, even as that Camara role has led to other guys when Camara has been banged up, being able to catch passes. Eckler, I think, would probably be that way as well. Somebody who, because of who he is, is generating some of these high-value touches. I thought it was a very bullish sign for Swift, long-term especially, to see that as he's been out, the Lions have not really felt comfortable doing that in this offense in a way that suggests that it's because of him that they've been generating so much, you know, running back receiving value. Obviously he's been the guy that's been dominating it, 
But at times we've seen like, you know, Godwin, Igwe Buke catch some passes and things. That hasn't really happened without, like he's been doing it when he's given Swift, a, when Swift's been given a breather, when, when Swift's in the lineup. But with Swift out, like him, no one, no one's been catching the passes or, or doing those things. So, And they did criticize Igwe for the fumble in this one, which probably knocks down his chance to be that kind of receiving back over the next couple of weeks, they mentioned that Jermar Jefferson didn't play because of the combination of ankle and flu last week. He was somebody that at the very least we kind of wanted to see in this window where Jamal Williams was out being uh, on the COVID list. And so for a variety of reasons there, as you mentioned, Williams, a guy they haven't given as many of these high value touches to, even though it just, it looked so promising for him. I, mean, I think that he was one of these guys, even though, we were just basically 100% on Swift because of the talent level there. You could have made the argument not that dissimilarly, I think, from the situation that's kind of played out with James Conner, where if Williams were to get the role there, he's a good runner, he's a capable receiver, but as you mentioned, that really hasn't materialized in the way that perhaps we thought. And so, again, when the Lions are trying to decide between passing to the running back or getting Amon Ra and Josh Reynolds a little bit more involved, they've gone that direction. And that included this last week when they didn't even have TJ Hawkinson to throw to someone else where if you don't have those players, you would think the running backs would be more involved. Sean, who's what, what's a Craig Reynolds? He was the guy who immediately when the game started, started breaking 20 yard runs. Yeah. So, I mean, the next starter, I would, right? I, I, I dug into him this week. Can you, here's a trivia question. Where did Craig Reynolds go to college? It's Cutstown, K-U-T-Z town. Uh, I believe Kutztown, in, right? Kutztown, maybe. Okay. I, I I don't know for sure, but that's. The... I believe it was in Pennsylvania. I'm not familiar. Uh, he was undrafted in 2019. Kicked around four teams, mostly on practice squads. Three career snaps, offensive snaps, prior to this week. Two touches for the Jaguars last year, at the NFL level, and he comes out and puts up 99 yards in this game. <laughs> he looked good. He looked good he breaking looked into. Uh... The secondary there it's it's fun to see these guys make an impression when you know that they're just going to get a very small window so this is a game that he can remember i was glad that he kind of got that chance it was cool to see that the lions move the ball a little bit uh ben we were rooting for them to do a little bit of this so that we would get uh something other than a billion denver running back touches we'll look at what they need to do with their passing game if they want to kind of push for the playoffs with teddy bridgewater when we come back NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season, and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favorite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So then you were telling me that something like 100 running back touches was noise this week. That was your takeaway in CLA Signals. Melvin Gordon is awesome. Oh, yes. Javante Williams is awesome. Yeah. They, I mean, they can't they touch had, the ball every time. They had 40 touches, eight green zone touches, which is a ton from one team in one game. You just don't necessarily even run eight plays inside the 10-yard line of the opponent. Obviously, they got into huge positive script in this game against the Lions. And they want to run their offense to the backs. I mean, we've seen the issues with the passing game with too many mouths to feed, essentially. Uh, it was interesting to see Big Albert O cut into Fant some more. He fell to a seasonal snap share for the second straight week. He's now down to like 74% snaps. It's not like massively lower than a lot of the rates he was playing. Uh, his routes are you know higher than that. They're, they're solid. But the fact that Akui Boonham is effective – as a receiver, like to me, is like not great for Fant, right? They're not going to quit doing this sort of split if if Alberto was making plays, but yeah, they want to run stuff through their backs, and when they get into a lead like this, they give them forty touches. They get these eight green zone touches. Six of them go to Gordon. Williams scores on both of his two green zone touches, so two for two conversion right there. Gordon gets his two touchdowns. Oh, uh, I believe one was outside the green zone. I think he was one for six on his green zone touches, but Gordon definitely came back to a huge role. 50, 50 split again. Williams led a little bit on the route side. Gordon led a little bit more in the, in the green zone. And it was interesting that these weren't, it wasn't kind of a token situation either where uh, they got ahead and they're like, okay, we need one to show Melvin Gordon that he didn't just like lose his job because of how amazing Williams was last week. I mean, he came back to the starting role and looked good. Yeah. And, and I, like, like you asked, yeah, I, I mean, I called it I called it noise and signals this week that there's going to be 40 touches and eight green zone touches in most games, right? And so that's somewhat of a concern. I mean, it's exciting for Javante Williams that he still had another two-touchdown game. He's so good. And and yet Gordon's playing well enough, and, they, and they're still really confident in Gordon. They don't seem to think sort of what we think, which is that Williams is so good that even though Gordon is playing very well, Williams might just be better than that. And you should just give Williams even more touches. They don't seem to necessarily believe that. And so, you know, I, it's, uh, the, the noisy part being just the massive amount of overall touches and overall scoring opportunities and the four touchdowns, that's going to be the, not the case probably for the Broncos in, in each of their games going forward. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's crazy watching Williams every week. I just move kind of that ranking up a tiny bit more and, I just, I don't think it's impossible that there would be a league or two. I mean, it probably won't work out this way because I would think that you'll have a chance to draft him a little bit later, but I, I think he could be the 102 next year. I mean, you're talking Jonathan Taylor, and then where do you get 25 points a game after that? If he's the starter and they have an Aaron Rodgers or you know even someone who's just decent, I mean, we're looking at 25 points per game next year from Javante Williams. You mentioned Albert O., he again showed why Davis Maddock and I are always trading him back and forth to each other in our leagues. It doesn't seem like someone who has that role on the depth chart should generate that much interest. 
But, I mean, he's probably one of the top five most talented tight ends in the NFL that's going to continue to be a problem for fans' dynasty value and breakout, even if they do get the quarterback there. Jerry Judy, another game in the 10-point range. He basically is their underneath threat. Now, we have this game coming up this week, Broncos, Bengals. We expect a lot of Joe Mixon, a lot of Melvin Gordon, and sadness and tears after the fact. Can we get Joe Burrow to play before? Burrow has like five minutes in every game in which he looks like the best quarterback in the NFL. Sometimes that comes right before half. Sometimes it comes in desperation time down the stretch here. Uh, He makes some of these throws like the one that Jamar Chase dropped. I mean, this should have been a three-touchdown game for Chase. Not exactly a drop. It's a a play where you stretch out, and it it feels like a drop because he was there to make it. He celebrated like he made it, and obviously he didn't come anywhere close to making it. He let the ball get (laughs) well away from him when the ball hits the ground there in the end zone. T. Higgins, also with spectacular peripherals over the last month. These two guys, the best tandem in the NFL, Joe Burrow making some throws. Let's commit to it and score a bunch of points and make the run. You joked with me about the Bengals making a run for the number one seed, obviously blowing this game last week that they should have been trying to win before the last three or four minutes. Takes them out of that conversation. Now they're in a fight with teams like the Denver Broncos for any sort of good playoff position. Yeah, I mean, a lot went on here you mentioned the deep chase play he had a really bad drop on his first target it was a third down third and 12 i think he's right across the sticks sitting down in zone coverage just open i mean there's guys kind of around him but he just flat dropped it you you mentioned the other one maybe doesn't get classified fully as a drop he did kind of have to go down to the ground for it defender right there tough play a play he should have made but the one before was really bad. The drops have become an issue. We, you know, we always say drops don't matter. He's going to continue to get the volume. They showed it here, and he finally broke through. He got the two touchdowns late. Thought that was very exciting. The drops are mostly just for for us to to be frustrated about because I don't think it's really going to affect his expectations going forward. But as you mentioned, it is it is affecting them as a reality team. Some of these drops have been very high leverage. Obviously, you're not going to have too many drops that are as big as the one he had last week against the Chargers that, again, really changes their season, right? Because it launches the Chargers. It knocks the Bengals down. He has a touchdown instead he gets lateral for an interception. There aren't going to be too many that are that big, but those third-down conversions like you mentioned, especially when you get in some of these situations, and I and I mentioned that they had a run-run a sack uh, to finish their overtime drive. It's like, I mean, you guys need to go score a touchdown, win the game. Don't give the ball back to the 49ers when you're – down there in the key moments, why are you going run, run, sack, right? But you get in those positions because your guys have dropped key third downs earlier in the game, make your quarterback not look as effective, not feel as effective. You lose that drive, and then there is this cascade effect all the way throughout. NFL football games don't contain that many drives. You can't lose them on plays like that. That's exactly right. The average game has about 11 drives. I don't think people – think through that enough each possession is so huge i mean you you got to get as many points as you can it's like a, a turnover i mean it's like losing a fumble to drop a pass on a third and 12 or then you have to punt it's a huge huge play but the fact that he came back had the two touchdowns late i mean i i did think that was very promising he continues to get open he continues to make plays those elements of it are i mean he's good like and and really the way that I look at it from a long-term perspective, and even a short-term next week and the next couple weeks is when he starts catching these passes, he's going to have the three touchdown games. Like you mentioned, he could have had here. Uh, we kind of saw the Chase Higgins one-two punch sort of reaching its final form in, in the second half of this game for the first time really all year. Higgins struggled so much early when Higgins came on and has looked so good this last, you know, three, four weeks. Chase has been really not what he was early in the year, not playing uh, to his level. When Chase was making plays late with those touchdowns, when Higgins was making so many plays in this game, goes for 114 yards. You saw what that could look like. That has to be the way the Bengals play if they want to actually go to the playoffs, if they do want to contend in the playoffs and, and, and make some noise. Those two guys have to be a focal point. Mixon's been very good. We've talked about him a lot too. We kind of don't know what to say about him. Every time I've, questioned his role somewhat because he has had these weird games he's come back as a work low uh, workhorse the next week he was a little bit ill coming into this game 
but he only ran 38% routes. P. Ryan was up at 55% routes. He loses a bunch of receiving, which is kind of odd um, because he did still get 20 touches. It's not like they weren't using him. And so it's a, it's a weird one with Mixon. He has exactly uh, two high-value touches in three of his last four games, which is not good. He had nine in the other one, which is very, very good. Um, but lately, you know, the, the touchdowns have been carrying him quite a bit. And you see here that without the TDs, he breaks a streak of like seven games in a row, I think it was, with a touchdown. There's a little bit of a floor here, especially if P. Ryan mixes in more. And one of the things, too, that frustrates me about this offense that I think could change and could move in a more positive manner as we go forward with those two guys finally seeming like they might come together now is that the Bengals are averaging over 30 seconds to snap, right? The 31st in the NFL, that's going to slow your offense down. Their overall profile in terms of run pass, seconds to snap, plays for 60 minutes is right in line with a group of teams that are just trying to run out the season and the New England Patriots. And we know the New England Patriots in part have had this game where they only ran a, a couple of passing plays because of the wind. But the Patriots have this incredible defense. They have one of the best running games in the NFL. And they have a rookie quarterback who is emerging. He's going to be very good, but they're trying to protect to an extent. That's not where the Bengals are in terms of what their biggest strengths are. And it's not overall the profile of teams that go on to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that the Patriots couldn't. I love what they are doing. But when you're the Bengals and you're trying to figure out how you're going to go through and you're going to win these games, what you're doing right now is not a championship dominating type of approach i expect them to speed up try and run more plays you don't want to have you don't be limited in terms of plays for the same reason you don't want to be limited in terms of possessions because if you're a good team you'll be able to increase the gap between you and these teams you're playing when you have a few more opportunities right so they're going to be game script specific types of things where you're trying to limit the number of, of plays and throughout the course of a season you're gonna have some fluky things here but we want to see the Bengals get to where they're confident enough that they can go through their quarterback they can go through their stars. They can get to the line of scrimmage, snap the ball, and get after it, as opposed to running things to an extent as though they're just trying to get the game over. That's not the way that you play if you feel like you have a team that could get to the AFC Championship game that could be an outside threat of the Super Bowl. And maybe this doesn't happen until 2022, but it was good to see some positive this week. I go back and forth. We have a lot of Burrow in redraft that has worked out okay, in part because – until we saw a couple of big games, you know, sort of interspersed in the last couple of weeks, it hasn't been an extremely high scoring season from a quarterback perspective. That's kept Burrow a little bit more competitive. I still think that he could be, say, the number five or six dynasty QB. You obviously have the big four. You've got some other people like Dak Prescott falling off. I would prefer Burrow to him. But I mean, this one could still go either direction where Burrow could be an absolute star or he could just be kind of, you know, like a, a rich man's Derek Carr, for example, something kind of in that range. Speaking of Dak Prescott, I know that, I mean, we probably give too much criticism to Kirk Cousins, but watching what could have been one of the all-time great games for Justin Jefferson this past week instead turned into just a 7 for 79 and a touchdown type of performance, that was rough. The other thing that was odd here ben i don't think i've ever watched a week in which two teams and especially from dallas's perspective because their defense was just absolutely rampaging you were talking about how some of our opponents have benefited from the dallas defense in fantasy when your defense has been so good that they appear to be a weapon in fantasy at a position that's so random you know that you're starting to dominate some opposing offenses but this was a game and it was so reminiscent of what had happened <laughs> earlier in the week on Thursday night where you had one team winning an absolute blowout and their quarterback then played so poorly that they brought the other team back to the cusp of victory. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the one play was the, I mean, just inexplicable really. I mean, the Washington was, was so done that they had essentially pulled Gibson from the game. They had moved on to Jonathan Williams. He was getting some run in the fourth quarter sort of garbage time. He scores a touchdown. He cuts it to 14 points, 13 points, 27, 14, I think it was, but there's five minutes left. I mean, they were, they were down 27, seven with five minutes left when they're starting to use Williams and you know, they're, they're kind of just throwing in the towel. Yeah. They had this chance to say, don't fumble. You're going to get penalized. 
Uh, we want to teach you a lesson. Also, it's garbage time, so don't worry about the lesson. And mm -hmm. then things transpired, as you were about to say. And then Dak throws right at a defender's face mask. I mean, he caught it off his face mask. I mean, it, and then runs it back for a TD 30 seconds right after the, the Williams touchdown. Now it's four and a half minutes, and it's a seven-point game. They block, Dallas blocks the extra point, which, you know, you're talking about how good their defensive line was. I mean, you had Michael Parsons with the, the strip sack early. They ran back for a touchdown. He had another sack right after that. You had Randy Gregory with the tip interception and another sack of his own. Just they they have a really good D-line. I was messaging some people and saying this team might. I mean, Dallas, it's been a while since they've really made a run in the playoffs, but this is the type of D-line that can do that and, and really help them if Dak is playing well. And, I, you know, you made that Burrow-Dak dynasty comment i, I kind of raised my eyebrows a little i think that's an interesting one for sure Dak is i'm still pretty optimistic about Dak, but yeah definitely a boneheaded play there they had to punt it back i mean washington got the ball back again and then uh gregory had another strip sack uh, you know washington had, had got it back down 27 20 i mean all of that led to washington having a chance to score and tie the game but we had this in several games i mean we had I mean, you mentioned Minnesota blowing a huge lead on Thursday night. We had the 49ers and the Bengals we just talked about. The Bengals scoring two touchdowns late to force overtime. We had the Bills roaring back against Tampa from, you know, just a, a first half where they looked incompetent on offense and forcing overtime in that game eventually and probably a game that the Bills could have won. I mean, it was a week of, of teams blowing 20-point leads. It was, and... At, at the same time, it just really feels like the Minnesota and Dallas ones stand out because they had been so dominant in every facet to that point to where their teams didn't seem like borderline playoff contenders. They seem more like the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then you have these interceptions thrown in situations that, that don't make a lot of sense. Now, we do talk from time to time about how teams can get too conservative. And so the flip side of that is that these play calls maybe are defensible in some way and it's just the execution, but it was bizarre. And one of the things that keep going back to here with the Cowboys is Ezekiel Elliott, right? And how his contract and just the whole situation there seems to be holding the team hostage. Then, I mean, he is not anywhere close to hundred percent. So we have to take that into consideration to here, not just look at it and say, okay, this is the true talent level that he is now. But he now has six or more targets in three of his last four games. And he's one of the least efficient receiving backs in the NFL, right? I mean, he's at minus 0.8 fantasy points over expectation just as a receiver for the season. So uh, per game, I mean, he's he's crushing his team in that category. You have a game here where he has six targets. Now, one of these was kind of a down-the-field target in the end zone. If you get an end zone deep target as a running back, you're probably like, that's great. I mean, that's, that's only upside. It's not like that's a problem necessarily. But Prescott couldn't even complete passes to Elliott in this game, one for six. It's also kind of a strange dynamic because they made a big point on the telecast. Those of us who are trying to play some of these guys in fantasy know that CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper have played relatively few snaps together on the season. They did in this one. They were all involved. They have between 51 and 61 receiving yards. Cooper scores the touchdown. Lamb looks like the star. They even actually give him a couple of rushing carries. And you to, know that a guy, yeah, I mean, you know these guys <laughs> when they're handing the ball off to him. I mean, we don't want, actually want our guys to carry as many times as Debo Samuel is carrying, but it's so encouraging to know that everybody sees Lamb that he can do everything. But and Sean, like just handing the ball. But to your Zeke point, they used him after the Randy Gregory strip sack to run out the clock again because they had to punt back and Washington had the ball with, uh, you know, down seven had a chance. They needed to get one first down. They gave it to Zeke on first down. Then they gave it to Lamb on second down. They're like, look, we can't convert this with Zeke right now. We're we're giving the ball to Lamb in grinded out rushing territory on a pitch play to go help us get the first down. And it, it just, it is kind of crazy here. They made a big point in the last couple of weeks that they weren't going to bench Elliot to get him healthy. This last week, Tony Pollard is held out 
And then the offense is so disastrously bad that they come out on Monday. And they're like, actually, we think Tony Pollard might be healthy. He may be able to play in week 15. So this, again, feels like a direct response to what happened in this game. We'd love to see Pollard out there. We'd also love to see Prescott showing a little more accuracy, a little bit more comfort. They have the three guys. In some ways, there are some uncomfortable parallels with what the Bengals are doing where when you have those three guys, you have to be able to schematically get them open, run some of these route combinations that the analytics show have a higher play expectancy in terms of how they contribute to converting first downs to converting the drive into points and and get the ball to those guys, right? I mean, you can't have CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper and be dumping the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott. The other person who didn't perform in this game and has been on very much kind of the downhill slide over the last month, Dalton Schultz was a real late round tight end weapon for almost all of 2021. He was a ghost in this one. Yeah, he's a guy I've mentioned a couple times. I'm not sure if it was here in signals, but you you noted you noted just a minute ago that the the three receivers have not played together a ton. It has seemed like when they've played together that Schultz has been more of an afterthought. I mean, obviously, when he can be the third weapon in the passing game, that's good. It's going to be better, I mean, for anyone. Uh, But the routes are still there when the three receivers are there. And so it's kind of more of a downturn than than I would expect, I guess, looking at at, at a lot of box scores over the years. It just seems like when those three receivers are there, the the passing game is going to flow through them. I've kind of expected that. And so this, to me, wasn't even necessarily that surprising in that regard. It doesn't mean Schultz can't do anything. I do think it's a really important thing to be to be wary of because we, we started to see it. It's hard to show. I was trying to figure out a good way to look at this because it's kind of hard to show with any kind of like good splits data uh, in the sense that, you know, there's been a lot of games where these three receivers have either left or one has left early or, or, you know, their playing time has been not full <laughs> for whatever reason, one of them, or, you know, not, not healthy. Cooper obviously last week was not fully healthy. Um, there was the, the, the Thanksgiving game, both Lamb and Cooper missed and you had just Gallup and Schultz and Schultz did better in that scenario. It's tough for him when the, all three receivers are there. It seems like it's going to flow through the three receivers, but about Zeke, I wanted to comment on because I mean, you're saying it, but like he's done, right? Like we understand that like this is a, a knee injury. This is not he's not healthy, obviously. But how telling was it that I know it was a big, big plus script, but Pollard was out and they gave Corey Clement a lot of work. I mean, they he ended up with more carries than Zeke. Zeke winds up with 12 of uh, what was it? 12 of the team's 35 rush attempts are giving CD lamb carries. They're using Dak on, you know, quarterback runs. That's not what Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, th- this is a type of game, Ezekiel Elliott, a, a division game in December that you need to win. And you get ahead by a couple scores and, and you can't even run him up the middle. I mean, that, that to me was shades of Todd Gurley's downturn, man. When they were just trying to find ways to use him, I think, even going into next year, this is going to be something that's going to stick with me in the sense that, I look, I know he's not healthy, but I'm certainly not going to buy that he's in the best shape of his life next year when that stuff starts coming out. He took a, he, you know, he he took a lot of carries, a lot of snaps, a lot of a lot of game time over the last several years, um, and he's still going to, you know, have his touchdowns and things are going to happen. But you know, I was never somebody to have a lot of Zeke on my on my rosters, but. This is telling. I mean, they're still willing to play him because he's healthy enough to play or he wants to play or whatever, but they're not even using him over Corey Clement. And that's a, that was a pretty big glare. And, and, and the lamb carries and everything else. That was a pretty big glaring sign to me. Yeah. I mean, it's been trending this way for a while. And the, the thing that really surprises me is just that his receiving numbers in terms of opportunity has been so robust at times this year, because it doesn't make any sense. Is it, is it, definite detriment to their offense when they're using him in the passing game, but he is getting those opportunities. I think that his floor is going to always be solid as long as he retains the favor of Jerry Jones, just because he is going to be down there by the goal line. And despite what we've seen with Dak 
really looking very mediocre this season, the Cowboys are going to move the ball. The Cowboys are going to create these short yardage opportunities. You're going to get those rushing touchdowns. He's going to score some points, but he is not the difference maker. He's more of a, a third round type of pick. And he was a third round pick coming into the season. It didn't make sense that he was going where he went. And so we'll see how that shakes out next season. And those, those, I mean, those targets, they're, they're tied to the pass blocking everyone talks about, right? You know, they don't bring an extra rusher. He doesn't have anyone to pick up. He releases and he gets a dump off. Um, that's the way I'm looking at it. But he plays on every passing down because of how good he is at pass blocking. And that will help him in, into next year and everything, like you're saying. So I, I'm, I'm excited that we'll have another guy kind of holding some of the best values down at least one spot next year. Ben, I did want to ask you before we go, it's a good way to wrap up our first show of the week because we do need to get some DJ Moore discussion. And we've gone almost an hour without talking about DJ Moore. <laughs> we talked last week about the coordinator change in Carolina. I mentioned that I had seen something to suggest that Robbie Anderson was one of these guys perhaps agitating for a new coordinator. That may or may not be fair. but And you had mentioned that his play had been dreadful in 2021, which was absolutely correct uh over the last five games he'd averaged four targets per game at an absurdly low target depth of 6.5 he came into the season uh, looking it up a little bit after we talked last week he came into the season with a career target depth over 13 in the first game under jeff nixon that jumps back to 12.3 so much more in line with how he'd been used coming into the season we know he's a smaller guy with this uh, i wouldn't say elite but he has this vertical ability. He's demonstrated that he can get down the field on a number of occasions, on a number of big plays throughout his career. He goes 12 targets, seven receptions, 84 yards, a touchdown in this one. And then our favorite player now has all sorts of injuries. He went to the tent in this game. I think he was the player that had the tent collapse on him, which is always a little bit of a bad sign. Uh, but he fought his way back into the game, uh, looked good. The offense actually did appear to have a little bit more of a spark, even though it was bad. When you're alternating Cam Newton and P.J. Walker, it's going to be bad. I was excited for that drive where Walker gets in there, and then he throws an interception that, I mean, granted, it's end of the half, but it's probably a play that you should refrain from making in an NFL game if you want to play more snaps in that game. We know they're not going to have the great quarterback play. Were you encouraged by any of the peripherals here? Are you in concerned that Anderson may cut a little bit more into the value for more if more can even play over these next couple of weeks and that considering this probably going to be a low volume passing game that adds one more tiny red flag to Moore's profile yeah I mean I'm I'm concerned about him playing it's a lost season for him at this point and if he's banged up I mean I don't know I'm thinking back to what was it 2019 he had the calf and they just shut him down in week 16 early he kind of dinged it up and they just shut him down and sat him out week 17 i think what i saw was hamstring right and i just hard to imagine him even playing with a hamstring injury on a team that's going nowhere and the way that they shut down mccaffrey and everything else if he plays i will say that one of the things that i saw in this game especially early when newton was in they they did shuffle a lot walker winds up taking over, throwing the pick, and Newton's back in to start the second half. Walker's back in late for the final two drives. When Newton's in there, they seem to really like the slant because Newton kind of kind of the RPO look, right? He can, he can look to run up the middle. He seems to be comfortable throwing the slant, but there was a couple, man. Like part of the reason he got benched is like he's throwing the slant when the cornerback has inside leverage. He's just throwing it at the cornerback. Like there was one where DJ Moore's like reaching across the cornerback to try to get a hand on the ball so it's just not a clear interception. Like, you can't throw the slant when the cornerback's sitting inside. It's just ridiculous. But they call it so much. Number one, defenses are paying attention. But they that's the DJ Moore route. I mean, that, that they're calling it to Moore. And so he has this specific route right now with Newton that was really helpful for him early in the game when Newton was in a quarterback. He caught a, several balls on slants early. Anderson it seemed was coming on better late with PJ Walker catching a, a few more like, you know, flag routes and outside patterns to the sidelines and routes that Newton isn't throwing as much. So, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think that the quarterback thing's going to have that much of an impact, but I, whether Anderson can be good the rest of the way, I mean, look, 
I wrote about in signals this week. He did it a couple times with the Jets. There was this, like, especially one year where he was bad all year, and then he was amazing in December. He's had a couple of these Decembers where he's been amazing. Is it the Jared Goff thing you were joking about, where he just gets comfortable in December? I mean, I don't know. Does it take him 15 weeks to start getting good? I, I don't. I don't know. But I wouldn't put it past him. He's done it at least twice other time. You know, twice before in his career that I can think of. Um, I remember now, as you mentioned that, that you and I had a big debate about cutting him on one of our co-managed teams a couple years ago, right before he went on that huge hot streak. Let me guess, you wanted to keep him. No, no, I think it was the other way around. I think we did cut him in it. And uh, down the stretch, we were like, ah, you know, if we still had him, we'd have a wide receiver, but we don't. So we don't have him. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, But yeah, I mean, so you're saying... Robbie Anderson, I mean, he's going to be the the playoff differentiator. If you need to, in a tournament, get I'm a not, different lineup, throw Robbie Anderson in there. I'm not saying that. I'm not not saying that. All I'm saying is this guy has been streaky before, and it's a, it's weird in a way that I, I have had a hard time explaining whatever the reasons behind it. Maybe he's just an emotional player. You talked about not liking the coordinator. Maybe he's more motivated. I, I what? I Look, I, I'm not trying to get into his psychology i don't know but he's been streaky before maybe he looks at the stats and goes wow i only have a couple hundred yards all year and i can't finish a season like this i better go do something i i don't know what it is but it would not be that surprising from robbie anderson specifically if he suddenly turned it around i don't think there's actually a pattern there like you know what i mean it's just sort of like we know that sequencing and all this stuff is can just trick us so i don't i'm not saying like go out <laughs> go out and pick up robbie anderson and jam him into your lineup over some stud but it is, it is interesting to think about. I'm concerned about Moore. I mean, in, if Anderson does emerge at all, if Moore's banged up at all, if he's not able to play, those are those are not good things. Uh, a big part of why I've stayed so optimistic about Moore is he's continued to just dominate the volume, to see Anderson dominate the volume in this one. And you mentioned that more of it was vertical. He had more air yards. His whopper was uh, one of the top ones on the week. I think it might have been second best on the week. Or four, it was fourth highest on the week, at least through Sunday when I wrote up part one of Stealing Signals. So I don't know if anyone on Monday night maybe pushed him back a little bit, maybe Cooper Cup or somebody, but definitely had a uh, a strong share of the offense in a way that typically Moore has. And that's why I've been like, look, if the quarterback play can just be a little bit better, Moore is going to be good because the volume's been consistent. If he's in now a situation where there's two guys that can potentially have the big whopper or they are relatively close and and neither of them is really dominating the quarterback play is going to bring them both down i mean it, it probably will bring anderson down so the other reason i would say not to be too optimistic about anderson is we've seen more have this type of volume over a long stretch and it not consistently hit because of the quarterback play because of the team situation and so yeah i mean it's anderson's emergence is probably just bad for everyone well hopefully if someone it won't be bad for it would be Chuba Hubbard. We mentioned him at the end of our show last week as well, talking about how he needed to break some big runs in order to kind of prove himself in this extended audition he was going to get with Christian McCaffrey on the shelf. He wasn't able to get a 60, 70-yard touchdown run in this one. He did break out and score from beyond the 15. That was really his only relevant play in the game, but looked very, very good on that, very Aaron Jones-esque. He has that kind of profile. He has that kind of athleticism. I'd love to see him do a little bit. He doesn't have the Green Bay Packers offense around him right now, obviously. And unfortunately, that play was really his last big opportunity because the game script was not in Carolina's favor for sort of a run only or run heavy back at that point. I'm hoping the Panthers can have a few decent games down the stretch here. We can get very heavy dose of Hubbard, see if he can make some more of those plays, see if he can carve out a legitimate dynasty value as we go through this last month. Then we better wrap it up there today. We'll have a ton more for the audience in the second show of the week a little bit later. You can get that when it comes out and you can make sure you have all of Stealing Bananas on the tempo that we release shows on over the next month or two by subscribing to our feed. Leave us a rating and a review. We appreciate all of those. You guys have been fantastic in that category. I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. There's never a bad time for that. And speaking of which, you can get a 10% discount to Rotoviz using the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. This is going to be a crazy week. We still have a lot more names who may 
not be able to play. We're looking forward to the first week of the fantasy playoffs. We'll be back later in the week, hopefully with a little bit more information. We'll have a lot more to discuss. Ben, I can't wait to chat with you then. Everybody else, we'll see you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.